Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Wednesday morning, the 15th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Yesterday, the government described the Israeli onslaught on Gaza as a war on children, with Simon Harris telling the doll, you cannot build peace on the mass graves of children. There is now an acronym that is ascribed to some children in hospitals in Gaza. WCNSF, Wounded Child, No Surviving Family. No other term sums up the tragic, horrendous human cost of the brutal attacks that Israel is perpetrating against the civilian population of Palestine than that. That's Sinn Féin's spokesperson on foreign affairs. Matt Carthy was speaking to a private member's motion which called on the government to refer Israel to the International Criminal Court. Palestine itself, as a state party to the ICC, referred the situation in the occupied Palestinian territory to the prosecutor under Article 14 of the Rome Statute. In May 2021, the prosecutor announced the opening of an investigation into the situation in Palestine, including Gaza, the West Bank and East Jerusalem. The investigation covers all crimes within the jurisdiction of the court, including war crimes and crimes against humanity alleged to have been committed since 2014. This gives the court jurisdiction over any crimes committed within Palestine or by Palestine nationals outside of it, including in Israel. And let me repeat, the prosecutor Karim Khan has made absolutely clear on a number of occasions over the last month that this investigation covers the current conflict, including all events on and from October the 7th of this year. I think that sentence bears repeating. And let me repeat. The prosecutor, Karim Khan, has made absolutely clear on a number of occasions over the last month that this investigation covers the, con- the current conflict, including all events on and from the 7th of October this year. And let me repeat again, he's confirmed this unambiguously that an active investigation is currently ongoing. Minister of State Sean Fleming making the point twice over that Palestine has already referred Israel to the International Criminal Court. The minister was arguing that Sinn Féin's motion for Ireland to make such a referral was pointless, given that an investigation is already underway. Ireland is entitled under Article 14, Section 2, to request that the International Criminal Court Prosecutor focus on the specific crimes that have been committed in Palestine since October the 7th this year. 
The government's argument is that the current referral by the State of Palestine covers this period. But I'm sure and I hope that the Minister knows that while that referral does include a broad call for the investigation for Israeli action since 2014, you should also know that it specifies instances that, of course, do not include the recent atrocities committed in Gaza. That's Matt Carthy speaking in that private member's motion last night. Matt Carthy joins us on the phone now. And a very good morning to you. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. Perhaps we can talk about your motion in a moment. But I'd like to start this morning, if I can, by asking you about the 40 Irish citizens who are starting to get out of Gaza today. It's much welcome news, but would you agree that the 40 or so people we're talking about will be very happy that Sinn Féin is not in government, given that Sinn Féin would have expelled the ambassador here and cut off all diplomatic channels with Israel? Is that the sort of form you're in this morning, Michael? Um, I would consider the news coming from Gaza to be extremely positive, of course, and I welcome the fact that Irish citizens and their families are beginning to be released. I regret it has taken this long. Of course, the Israeli government said that they have no hand, act, nor part in asserting who it is that's released from Gaza. Whether you believe them or not, that's their state of position. They say it is entirely a uh, call for the Egyptian authorities um, to, to make. But make no mistake about it, we want to see every citizen that wants to leave Gaza being in a position to do so. But also, we have to acknowledge that whoever Mm. leaves, there are several hundreds of thousands that remain in what is an absolute horrendous But only only last week, the government was being asked if Ireland was being punished for the tough position that it has taken against Israel. Yes, and um, there is no evidence that we have been. And, of course... You know, the tough position that Ireland has supposedly taken is that the government and the entire House of the Oireachtas have simply called for a ceasefire for the protection of innocent life and for Israel to stop its relentless bombarding of civilian, um, civilian, civilian infrastructure and of its forced mass dis, um, forced dis, um, location of um, the civilian population Mm. of Gaza, contrary to international law. But there is little argument, is there, between Sinn Féin and government in terms of uh, the positions taken in relation to the response from Israel to the October 7th attack by Hamas. Uh, We heard the strongest criticism from Minister Harris yesterday talking about a war against children. Uh, The question is how you make your voice heard and as a small country the government's argument is that you'll be lost in the noise unless you use every diplomatic channel open to you. Precisely. The words of government um, have strengthened in recent weeks and that's to be welcomed and Sinn Féin have been engaging very constructively with government to bring Ireland to the point where we are one of the first parliaments in the world, if not their first, to actually call for a ceasefire. And it just shows how significant that was because others followed suit. And when it came to a point where a resolution was brought to the UN General Assembly to that effect, the overwhelming majority of the representatives of humanity um, voted in favour of demanding a ceasefire. And of course, Israel has ignored 
those um, calls and has continued and, if, if anything, intensified its bombardment in Gaza. So the next question is, what do we do? Do we simply keep repeating our utterances of, um, of appeals for, for ceasefires or do we actually take actions to bring Israel to that point? And I think we're in the point where we have to take moves in terms of the latter. We have to make meaningful um, um, steps to uh, to force um, other international countries to follow suit, but primarily to force Israel to stop what it is doing, which um, are horrendous. In my address yesterday at, in the Oireachtas, I just quoted two two doctors um, who are based in Gaza and have mm. been working in Gaza, and they have been outlining you know, some of the situations that they're dealing with as doctors in hospitals, as um, doctors um, who were working in hospitals that were forced to evacuate, the fact that many of those people, including healthcare workers that were fleeing, were actually targeted specifically by Israeli snipers and shot down. Um, one doctor um, outlined that there are first-hand eyewitness reports of stray dogs eating the flesh from bodies that have been strewn either in rubble or in the vicinity of hospitals. That is that that is to to my mind uh seen from medieval times and yet the world is arguing over semantics as mm. to whether or not it is appropriate oh, for of countries like from, Ireland from, to make a stand. And from, my, from, my from argument where, very clearly is that mm, Ireland must make a stand. Mm. Well, from where I, I'm sitting, those stories are atrocious beyond belief, uh, but it is a reality and they're just uh, a couple of stories from an atrocity. Uh, that uh, will undoubtedly be remembered uh, for uh, uh, as long as the world exists, if you like. What is happening in Gaza uh, is uh, an atrocity on a scale that has rarely been seen on this planet, and there is little argument about that. Uh, But the question is, uh, do you take the position that you're suggesting uh, at any cost, and the cost here uh, being the 40 Irish citizens uh, getting out of, of Israel or getting out so, of, of Gaza, I beg your pardon. So, as I said, the first priority has to be to bring um, Israel to a point of a ceasefire. And all of the actions that we have put forward have been efforts in order to do that. Um, but just be very clear, Sinn Féin had a private member's motion this week. Rather than list the long list of potential sanctions and diplomatic moves that government could take, we actually specified one, what I would consider to be the most simple of that, and that was that Ireland would refer Israel to the International Criminal Court. And you dismissed that argument that we heard from Sean Fleming, that that is already underway, an investigation is already underway because of a referral from Palestine. I have to say, I... I have been obviously disappointed by this government on a whole raft of issues and policy failures, but I have never been more disappointed in a government response to a private member's motion than I was last week. It just smacked of double standards from start to finish. The suggestion that Ireland can't make a referral simply isn't true. The suggestion that um, we signed up to a referral in respect of Ukraine because Ukraine wasn't 
state party to the International Criminal Court and therefore needed over 40 countries to join it, but that because Palestine had signed up to international law, it must be uh, it left, left standing alone, to my mind, doesn't make any um, sense whatsoever. The government have said that oh, because there's already a referral, it would be inappropriate for other referrals to be made. That's not true. Ireland co-signed a referral to the International Criminal Court in respect of Ukraine after the ICC prosecutor had already announced that he had began the formal investigation. I said 41 states had signed that referral in respect of Ukraine. Why would 41 states need to sign it when, according to the logic that was set out by the government last night, one would have been enough? And it's clearly because each of those 41 governments rightly came to the view that every signatory added a political impetus and a strengthened mandate to the criminal court prosecutor. And the same, of course, would be true in respect of Palestine. And even on top of the 41 signatures that co-signed Ireland's referral, a separate referral was also made. In fact, there are multiple instances where more than one referral was made to the International Criminal Court. And we know, because the International Criminal Court have said it repeatedly, when they get multiple referrals, it, 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 it does add that impetus to their investigation. It does give that credibility and it does give the ICC that authority to actually pre- present. And as I said, this was one of the easiest things government could have Mm. done and unfortunately they set their face against it so the question that now needs to be asked considering the remarks of Simon Harris that we are Mm. witnessing a war on children considering the remarks of the Taoiseach Mm. that the actions of Israel um, cannot be without consequence and considering the remarks of both the Taunish and the Taoiseach that actually called out rightly the actions of Israel as collective punishment and disproportionate and all sorts of other language the, the natural question is, what is Ireland going to do about it? And okay. in my mind, a simple thing that we could have done ab- about it and should still mm. do about it, because there is still time for any Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael TDs who are listening this morning, this vote will, on this motion will take place tonight, and I would make mm. a, an appeal to them that they would reject the government amendment and support the Sinn Féin motion and show that Ireland wants no hand, knack, nor part in the war crimes that are being committed by Israel. Okay, generally speaking, the question that divides people is what should the Irish government do about it? I I think it's true to say that there is a consensus up to this point uh, that everybody, uh, politically speaking, condemns the attack on Israel by Hamas uh, and everybody uh, condemns uh, the Israeli response. Uh, we know that uh, the government uh, will not uh, expel the Israeli ambassador and will not refer uh, Israel to the International Criminal Court. Uh, Sinn Féin would do both of things. Would Sinn Féin, if in government, also refer Hamas to the International Criminal Court? Yes, if we could. And this is one of the ironies because I was obviously involved in crafting the Sinn Féin private members motion and we have been engaging with lots of international law experts. Hamas's activities on October the 7th happened in the, within the state of Israel. And of course, Israel isn't a signatory to international law and, into, and to the um, Rome Statute in respect of the International Criminal Court. So in order for Hamas to be investigated, Israel would have to sign up um, to the principles of the Rome Statute and the International Criminal Court. I think we can both accept that they're unlikely to do so, considering that they are probably in violation of more aspects of international law than any other single state, certainly over a more prolonged um, period of, of time. But the, 
the referral to the International um, Criminal Court relates to all actions that happen within the state of Palestine, which is a signatory to the International Criminal Court. And that means that if any Palestinian organisation, including Hamas, is found to be in breach, then a breach of international law in respect of that territory, then of course the International Criminal Court should make findings in in that regard and hold Mm. those responsible for those um, breaches accountable, just as they should Mm. in respect of Israel. But there is a distinction, Michael, and we talked about Hamas and uh, and you know, their dastardly deeds on October the 7th. But Hamas doesn't have a preferential trading relationship with the European Union that is worth billions. Hamas isn't in receipt of multi-billions of euro worth of international funding for military um, advancement every single year by Western countries. Hamas doesn't have embassies in every um, in every major state in the in the world and Hamas doesn't enjoy the type of preferential treatment across economic political and diplomatic channels that Israel enjoys Israel is a state that has all of those benefits. It is benefiting to the tune of multi-billions of euros every year as a result of those mechanisms that are made available through the EU and the US and other um, international fora. And while they are in receipt of those benefits, they are simultaneously engaged in a systematic um, destruction, I would argue, of the Palestinian people and certainly of any prospects of an independent um, and viable Palestinian state. And those two things are an absolute stain on the international community, that a state that is engaged to such a degree in breaching international law enjoys all of those benefits as if it is a a democratic functioning um, law-abiding state. It clearly is not. Okay, as you say, your motion on uh, the International Criminal Court and a second motion tabled by the Social Democrats which would result in expelling the Israeli ambassador will be voted on tomorrow. We'll leave it there for the moment though and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. That is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on foreign affairs, Matt Carr. 086-1800-658 The Michael Reed Show brought to you by Airgrid managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it Next to Shannon Aaron and questions regarding the FAI. Yesterday, Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castle said, last Sunday was an amazing day for Irish football with a record attendance of 44,000 people at the FAI Cup final in the Aviva. Minister, last Sunday was an amazing day for Irish football with a record attendance of 44,000 people attending the FAI Cup final in the Aviva. But again, on such a momentous day for Irish football, it was overshadowed by events going on off the field. As the Irish Independence Chief Soccer writer Daniel MacDonald put it yesterday, there are good people in the FEI who are being failed by their inability to present a coherent message of progress without some other wing of the organisation, be it the executive or the Luddite wing of the General Assembly, blundering. Now, Minister, you have rightly said that there will be no discussion of an extension of state support to the FEI to 2026 until this matter that has erupted over payments to Chief Executive Officer Jonathan Hill totalling €20,000 are resolved. The FEI, for their part, have stated that the CEO is not to blame for these overpayments and that it is rather a technical financial interpretation. 
the story of overpayments in an institution in this country, Senator Castle said, is not an unfamiliar story. Now, Minister, there's another institution of this country that was mired in controversy this summer because of one man's interpretation of technical financial arrangements. And that controversy nearly sunk RTE and they needed a €40 million bailout today. The last time there was a technical financial arrangement in the FAI with the CEO, he was loaning his employer a €100,000 bridging loan and the resulting controversy nearly sunk it and again the state needed to bail out the FAI. Now this cannot be another sweep it under the carpet exercise. Castles wanted to know what the technical explanation is that the FAI is referring to. And have they offered that technical explanation to you And is that audit report uh, going to be presented to you, one that Paddy Bonner, who is a board member, is looking for? Secondly, I would like to know why board members, such as Paddy Bonner, were not aware of the suspension of state funding to the organisation, very eminent members. And is it, Minister, as has been described in the papers over the weekend, a board operating within a board? Because that is not what was going to be sought by when the state, under the Memorandum of Understanding, bailed out the FAI. And thirdly, Minister, why are ordinary members, ordinary employees of the FAI, told by their employer that when it comes to holiday leave, you either use it or lose it, you cannot carry it over into next year, but yet they look at their CEO, who is receiving cash payments in lieu of holidays, and SIP2 have last night issued a very angry and strongly worded statement about that carry-on. And Castles made the point that this is not, of course, the first time that the FAI has been mired in controversy. The reason that we had a controversy in the FAI back in 2019 is because the auditor's delight stated that the FAI did not keep proper accounting records. Now we're back getting statements about technical financial arrangements. I haven't even got a chance to touch on the gender quota issues for the board and their failures in that respect and where that sits as well in terms of your department making sure that state funding is going to be provided because of their failure to comply with that. So two main aspects, Minister. What scrutiny is being applied here to the FEI given these failures? And secondly, what is your envisaged timeline for a restoration of funding, given its importance to grassroots in particular, by the state, uh, from the FEI, in terms of getting their house in order? Shane Castles was putting those questions to the Minister for Sport, Thomas Byrne. In relation to the salary of the FEI CEO, as I mentioned earlier, the Memorandum of Understanding agreed in January 2020 between the then Minister uh, and the FEI provided for additional funding to support the organisation of football development to the end of this year, and I've set that out. But in addition, the MOU set out a comprehensive range of reform measures, 163 in all, which the FAI were to implement and embed in the organisation over the lifetime of the MOU. Sport Ireland was and is tasked with monitoring the implementation of those recommendations. As part of the recommendations, the MOU requires a firm commitment that the remuneration of the CEO will be in line with government pay guidelines, and that means that it should be no greater than the remuneration of the officers in the Greater Secretary-General. That's identified as MOU 35. Earlier this year, Sport Ireland asked uh, a company called Cozy to conduct an audit to consider whether this condition was embedded within the FAI in 2022. 
The primary finding of the COSI audit is that this condition was not embedded in the FAI in 2022. The audit report was sent to my department last month and was subsequently reviewed and considered by myself, um, Minister Catherine Martin, and by our officials. Now, we all fully agreed with the findings of the audit that the FAI were not in compliance uh, with this aspect of the MOU and set out that we fully expect the FAI to become compliant with the recommendations set out in the audit report by COSI. Sport Ireland are actively engaging with the FAI in relation to this, and we understand that the FAI have recently written to Sport Ireland to confirm their, attention, their intention to achieve compliance. Any decisions with regard to amending or extending the MOU or the provision of additional funding for 2024 or future years, similar to that provided under the current MOU, but that can't be progressed in the absence of confirmation from the FAI and verification by Sport Ireland that the above recommendations are implemented. Now, while Senator Castles may not have had enough time to ask about gender quotas yesterday, the Minister was anxious to address the issue nonetheless. The current Sports Action Plan 2021 to 2023 sets out a specific target for all NGBs to achieve a minimum 40% gender representation balance on their boards by the end of the year. So this applies to every NGB. I note that the vote taken I note the vote taken by the FAI and I understand there's still time for them to take the appropriate steps before the AGM next month to ensure that they've met the target and I encourage them and other NGBs who have not done so yet to do so. And I would also just remind people as well in the case of the FAI there is a requirement in the MOU of 50-50 split um, independent uh, and footballing directors. And that 50-50 split is required uh, regardless of the amount of directors uh, on the board overall. That's Minister Thomas Byrne responding to Senator Shane Castles in Shannon Aaron yesterday, the FAI, facing some serious questions there. Now, if you'd like to make comment on the programme today, let me remind you that you're more than welcome to do so. We'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 041-983-2000. Text or WhatsApp 086-1800-658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael at lmfm.ie The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Now, some of uh, the comments coming to us uh, this morning. Somebody says, fair play, Michael, to P.O. Smith, who was on your programme yesterday highlighting the situation in Drogheda regarding the drugs trade and the intimidation regarding drug deaths that go with it. Some senior guardie seem to have egos as big as these criminals writing books with sweeping statements saying that they've broken the gangs and such like without considering the aftermath where the perpetrators of these crimes are continuing to control things from prison and carrying on where they left off on release. It's commonly known in Drogheda where some of these gang members on the run are hiding. Their children go to visit them. So why can't the Gardaí do that? That might surprise you, Michael, but it is what is happening. Something I have never been able to understand in this country is how do the solicitors who defend these people sleep at night in the knowledge that they're defending guilty people and trying to do deals to shorten sentences because prison just doesn't seem to be a deterrent
different anymore. Thank you indeed uh, for your message uh, and uh, for sharing that with us. Uh, thanks to, to somebody who was in touch with us yesterday about one of uh, these gangsters and all of the money that they have and all of the property that they have and all of uh, the money that the state is giving to this gangster in rent and in legal aid for that matter because uh, they're facing charges uh, wealthy beyond uh, the expectations that most of us would have in life but still able to get legal aid well-known gangsters uh, but uh, that's the system uh, because officially they're unemployed uh, however that works now let's talk uh, about something else completely different and if you're renting a local authority house if you live in a council house you may be interested to know that uh, you are now allowed to rent out rooms for up to €14,000 a year Year and it is tax-free. Tommy Riley, Finnefall councillor and uh, the uh, Coherlock of Meath County Council is on the line. And a very good morning to you, Tommy, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. The objective of this, of course, is to help with the housing crisis. What do you make of it? I think, Michael, it's another kite-flying exercise. And... Um, I, you know, the, I was with the housing section yesterday in the county council, and they don't know one iota about it yet. And um, who's going to administer it? Local authorities. Our local authority housing section <clears throat> is blasted to the mass with trying to facilitate uh, homeless people and people coming from foreign countries and war torn countries. So, uh, like. Give, give us give us the tools to work with if mm. you're going to do something like that. Don't okay. just announce it. Well, I, I suppose it, it probably is relatively straightforward. It's in line with rent a, a room to students. That scheme that has been running. Uh, so you'd be able to advertise that you've a room for rent. Somebody would be able to come along uh, and you'd be able to charge them up to €14,000 a year. And you don't have to tell anybody about it. Uh, but if anybody comes knocking on your door, uh, you're not liable for tax because uh, it, it falls under the limit. Uh, and I imagine that €14,000 a year would be very attractive to a lot of our listeners who are living in council houses uh, may actually contemplate renting out a, a room. And apparently uh, there's between 14,000 and 28,000 houses, council houses, that is, around the country that are under-occupied. Maybe one person living in a, a three-bedroom house or two people living in a, in a three-bedroom house, as the case may be. Yes, uh, that's that's fine. Um, but if you're from down the country and you're sending your young daughter or your young son to some her, some other county, some other town or city, wherever it is, is those people vetted that your son or daughter is going into? What facilities have the have the private bathroom facilities? Have the a nice warm room, or is it just a, a, a hovel? You don't want your son or daughter going into that. Mm. And I'm 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 really hard on the vetting end of things. Especially sending in uh, young young people at, at eighteen years of age, just to be boys or girls, or whatever the case is. Is is it any different to anybody else renting out a, a room in um, a house that's privately owned, for example, or uh, uh, the student rent a room scheme, for that matter? It's pro- it's probably not, but even even in that case, Michael, I think you know people should be vetted because you know in today's world it's not what it was years ago, like. You have to know where your daughter or your son is going. You have to know where they're going. And uh, 
I, I read in the paper on, mm. on Sunday that where there was one girl and she was in, in a room with four people in Dublin. She was paying something like a thousand pound a month, yeah. and the, she was sleeping in bed with some someone that she never knew. That doesn't know where they're from or anything. So, I mean, is that what you want your daughter to go into or your son going into okay. if they're mm. going to Dublin or Cork or Galway? You know. Apart, Michael, from that, we have a, a, a person in charge here in Meath County Council uh, of facilitating the Ukrainian people who want to move into a house with someone. And they go and they inspect the house. Mm-hmm. They go and inspect the house for these people to go into it. And uh, whether they're vetted or not, I can't answer that question. But I, I'm very strong in favour of vetting where your daughter or son is going into a house okay. in some city that they don't know. OK, but I suppose it could be the other way around. It could be a 35-year-old woman who's renting a room to a 52-year-old man, if you like. Uh, and so long as it's under €14,000 a year, no tax is liable. Uh, and that's a, quite a, a lot of money. Um, if you were unemployed, for example, Tommy, and renting from Meath County Council, what would you expect to be paying in rent? Probably about 30 or €40, Euro maybe. A week? Uh, sorry, that'd be, that'd be, that'd be uh, no late thanks to Probably... 78 euro for, for, for a young couple or a young person, you know, that's what you'd be paying. Okay, so you could you could actually have somebody pay your rent for you uh, because... Oh yes, there's no, there's no question about that. Yeah, 14,000 euro uh, a year works out at 269 euro a week. It's a lot of money, isn't yeah. it? It's a lot of money, but uh, you know, with all government things, I've seen the ESB, mm. where they're going to pay you back 50% if you're... If you're um, ESB usage doubled, or your, your your bill doubled. I know a guy whose bill doubled from three and a half thousand to seven thousand. He has seventeen people employed. He spent a week probably with his accountant and other putting stuff together. Sends mm. it into DSB. He gets a, a, an email back. Sorry, you're only at forty eight percent. When the mm. VAT was taken off it, when other penalties was taken off it, and other charges, he didn't make the fifty percent, and he got nothing. You know. Okay. I was listening to your programme program yesterday, which was mm-hmm. very good, on, on, on Airgrid. Same yeah. thing, 50,000. Those people might get fifteen or 16,000. Mm-hmm. We'll be talking about Airgrid later yeah. on, by the way. We're pouring back on yeah. with us. Uh, but can, can I just ask you, uh, to conclude it, if I, I can, if, let's say, a pensioner, and this is probably the extreme, most extreme example, if a pensioner is renting a house off Meath County Council for €40 Euro a week, and then they rent a room in that house out to somebody for €269 yeah. Euro a week, yeah. Should some of that yeah. money go to the council? Uh, I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> so why not? But uh, of course, if, if you get, but look at Michael. I know, and you know, and we're long enough around both of us to know that there will be some catch in it. It won't be just as simple as you getting 269 euro a week into your hand if you're paying for uh, no age pension of paying 40 euro or 38 euro a week for rent. Uh, I think that's number one, but I'm very, very strong, Michael, on betting where your daughter or son is going. I mm. think it's vitally important. OK. All right. Well, as I understand it, uh, you can rent a room as uh, and advertise it as any uh, accommodation is let out. Uh, and yes. uh, you can do that now as a local authority tenant in a local authority house up to €14,000 a year or €269 a week tax-free. Michael, the local authority has no correspondence on this up to five o'clock yesterday evening. What good, bad or indifferent? Okay. 
All right, well, uh, we will uh, undoubtedly hear more about it in time to come. Hopefully, uh, it'll help people uh, uh, as well to find somewhere it's to well, stay because it's it quite important. Well, yeah. mm-hmm. Again, you have to know where your son or daughter is going to live in any city in Ireland or any other, uh, any other country, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. You just can't be nearly willing with the, with the sea room advertised on the Gwyn. It's not just on. All right, Tommy, listen, we'll leave it there for the moment. Many thanks indeed for joining us. Thanks, Michael. Fianna Fáil Councillor Tommy Riley, who is uh, the Cahirlach of Mead County Council. Call Michael now. 0419832000. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Uh, I did suggest to you earlier on uh, this morning that you could call us uh, if you wanted to make comment on uh, the programme. If you've been trying to call us, apologies. I'm really, really sorry. Uh, our phone lines are, are down, apparently. I didn't realise that uh, at the time that I said that you could ring us. Unfortunately, you cannot ring us today, or at least not at the moment, uh, because uh, there is a problem with the phone lines. They're just not working, and I'm sure somebody somewhere is working on that problem, and hopefully they'll be restored as soon as possible. But you can make comment. If you wish to make comment, you can text or WhatsApp us. Our number is the same for both. It's 86 658 That's 86 658 if you want to text or WhatsApp a comment to us. And just to reiterate, our phone lines are not working at the today or at least at the moment. You can also email michael at lmfm.ie and indeed thanks to Pat Owens who emailed us overnight saying hello Michael why is the public not challenging the government on the price of fuel? The price of a barrel of oil is way down but this is not reflected at the pumps. Thank you indeed Pat for your email to michael at lmfm.ie. I'm not sure I know the answer to that question. Perhaps somebody listening to us does and indeed uh, would be delighted if uh, people wanted to share their thoughts on the price of oil or if they should be challenging the government on it or if the government should uh, be challenging uh, the uh, suppliers on it. I, I wanted to uh, read you a letter actually that came or that uh, I read in the Irish Times uh, this morning uh, because we've been talking a lot this morning about uh, Gaza and indeed uh, what's happening there. As we've heard in the headlines uh, there is uh, an attack now around a specified hospital in Gaza. It's appalling to think. Uh, but there's a, a, a letter in the Irish Times today from Colonel Dorka Lee. This is retired Colonel Dorka Lee, uh, who's based in Navan. Uh, and it uh, talks to exactly this situation. And in his letter, Colonel Dorka Lee says the main justification for the current Israeli military action affecting the hospitals in Gaza is that they are legitimate military targets due to the presence of Hamas's military infrastructure in, near and under the same hospitals. Hamas has consistently denied these claims. One solution might be to send in international verification teams to establish if the Israeli claims are true or not. This would require local ceasefires or humanitarian pauses. Ideally, it should be a UN mission comprising personnel from experienced peacekeeping nations such as Ireland, from the five permanent members of the UN Security Council, particularly the US and Arab nations from countries with ties to the Palestinian Authority. If the Israeli claims are upheld, Hamas fighters should be given an opportunity to evacuate under a flag of truce and UN protection to a country prepared 
prepared to accept them. Terms and conditions should apply. If the claims are false, Israel should cease all military action in the designated areas and facilitate humanitarian support to flow to the hospitals. Bringing war criminals to justice should be left to the International Criminal Court. That is what would seem to me to be a very informed view from Colonel Dorka Lee, retired Colonel Dorka Lee uh, in Navin in a letter that he wrote to the Irish Times that is published today. Now we'll stay with uh, the ongoing situation in Gaza and indeed uh, the helplessness uh, that we all feel as a result of this. As you've been hearing this morning, it's a, an issue that was debated in the Dáil last night with a Sinn Féin motion calling on the government to refer Israel to the International Criminal Court. Uh, we'll hear some of uh, the local contributors to that debate. we we'll begin with Sinn Féin TD for Mead West. This is Johnny Gurk. Distressing as it is to see here... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And read what is happening in Gaza. Great credit must be given to the doctors, the aid workers, the photographers and the camera crews who risk their lives every day to tell us these horrific stories. Without them, we would not be able to call on those responsible to stop. I would like to thank people right across the world who have come out in their millions to support the Palestinian people. I want to see Emily Hand and all hostages released, including those in Israeli jails. Also, 2.2 million hostages, hostages pinned into Gaza for the last 17 years. In the last five weeks, 11,200 Palestinians have been killed, 4,600 of those children, 28,000 injured, 1.5 million people displaced, a child killed every 10 minutes, 3,250 Palestinians missing under the rubble, 1,700 of those are children, 50 50 media workers killed, including 38 journalists, 101 aid workers killed, 22 of the 35 hospitals forced to close down and most medical clinics closed. Babies dying because no electricity or fuel for incubators. The daily existence of the Palestinian people has become an endless cycle of despair. World leaders look on while men, women and children are being slaughtered. I wonder to myself why. Is it because you want a base in the Middle East? 
Is it because Israel has too much power, money and influence in your own country? Is it because the European Union licensed two billion in arms sales to Israel since 2012? Is it because the Palestinian, but the Palestinian people are not as white as the rest of us and their lives don't matter? Or is it all of the above? While I am not directly impacted by what is going on in Gaza, I get it very hard to watch the news every night. For hours, I think of what the world is letting happen to the Palestinian people. I ask these world leaders in the West, how do you sleep at night giving Israel a free hand to do what they like and answer to nobody? You need to stop treating them like spoiled brats. It is time you got the courage to say stop. I say to Netanyahu and his war cabinet, I hope and pray that I live long enough to see you before the International Criminal Court where you belong. To the Palestinian people, my heart goes out for you. You have the support of right-minded people right across the world. Ireland stands with you. And remember, it is not those who can inflict the most, but those who can endure the most who will win. Sinn Féin TD for Midwest, Johnny Gurk speaking to the Sinn Féin motion last night. Another local contributor was Sinn Féin TD for Mid-East, Darren O'Rourke. Karen Court, over the past month and more, the world has watched in absolute horror as the Gazan people face annihilation. Missiles rain down upon two million people who have been denied food, fuel and water in one of the most densely populated areas in the world. We are bearing witness witness to a cataclysmic event. We are bearing witness to war crimes. We are bearing witness to genocide. Israel acts with the impunity through its indiscriminate slaughter of a trapped population. Entire families have been killed in their beds. Many more are trapped in the rubble. 1.1 million have been forcibly displaced in an event that echoes the Nakba of 1948. Schools, hospitals and vital infrastructure are being flattened. Where they stand still, blackouts are a constant risk, with the likelihood that fuel will completely run out on Thursday. This ferocious siege is not out of character for Israel. For decades, Palestinians have had their lives ravaged and brutalised by Israel's apartheid regime. They have been living under an occupation blockaded for 16 years. Their land has been occupied and annexed. They have been denied a right of return. And what is the international community doing? In truth, very little. Those countries who have remained silent are complicit and have set the context in which deaths of thousands of men, women and children is viewed as permissible. Shame on those Western countries who failed to speak up to call for a ceasefire. Even greater shame on those countries that have called this mass slaughter a legitimate act of self-defence. We must take a stand against Zionist racist sentiments that are deployed to legitimate mass displacement and ethnic, ethnic cleansing. We must call for a ceasefire now. Ceasefire now. And we must hold Israel to account. They must be held to account at the International Criminal Court. Without a resounding and unified voice from the international community, Palestinians will remain under constant and existential threat. Ireland can and must lead, support this motion, make the referral to the ICC. That's Darren O'Rourke. Now, it was a Sinn Féin motion, but there was one other local contributor to this debate, and that was Aintu's Panatubin. 4,000 children have been killed in Gaza at a rate of now... One child's been killed every 15 minutes. We've seen 90 UN workers and 40 journalists killed so far. And aid has been reduced to a trickle on purpose. So Gaza was surviving on 500 trucks on a daily basis. 
and now it's only seen a thousand trucks being allowed in since the start of this particular war. Food, water and fuel are being withheld from civilians and from hospitals. And we see hospitals, schools and refugee camps still being bombed and still being attacked. Now, today it's been reported from a main hospital in Gaza that it is burying its patients in mass graves. Doctors in the hospital state that the bodies are littering the hospital at the moment and because there's no electricity left in the morgues, they have to bury these bodies as soon as they can. And we've been told by the same doctor that seven children and 29 patients who are in intensive care are now among the dead because of the lack of energy. Now, we know that there's only a small number of people getting out. Many Irish citizens are desperately seeking to leave but are not being allowed. And I believe that that is totally unacceptable, Minister. It cannot be the situation where other people, other countries, are gaining their freedom from this open-air prison, and yet Irish citizens are being held uh, in that area. That's Padre Tobin speaking in the Dáil yesterday to that Sinn Féin motion. The good news for Padre Tobin, indeed, for the 40 or so Irish citizens and all of us who are very concerned for them is that they are starting to get out as we speak. Now, let's go back uh, to the text messages because our phone lines are down. Apologies, we uh, are are not able to answer calls because uh, you won't be able to get through because they're not working. But we can take comments on 0861800658, whether you text or WhatsApp is uh, one from a listener who says they were listening to Matt Carthy earlier on uh, and... uh, with uh, Michael he said Hamas cannot be referred to the International Criminal Court Uh, well uh, our our listener is uh, referring to Karim Khan who is the Chief Prosecutor uh, and quotes what he he said uh, in relation uh, to a referral Uh, I won't go through the whole quote uh, but I I think that was made clear in in the interview uh, and certainly was made clear in the earlier clip uh, that we played from Minister of State Sean Fleming Betty Daly in touch with us about gangsters and legal aid and she says now they're able to sue the state for damages. What other country gets thugs off with crimes, robberies and assaults and then they sue us for reprimanding them. Mag Y, thank you for your text message to the programme today as well. She says every death in Gaza is the result of the Iranian Hamas group. Hamas are still bombing Israel and continue to hold men, women and children as hostages. They continue to hold the Palestinian people hostage in their own country. Hamas should go home to Iran and leave the Palestinian people to have elections. Sinn Féin we know are natural bedfellows of these type of terrorists like Hamas. Thank you, Mag Y, for that. Uh, a similar call from someone uh, who was texting during the interview with Matt Carthy saying, please ask Matt if the real reason for Sinn Féin's vote to expel the Israeli ambassador from Ireland is due to the IRA's association and links with Hamas. Uh, Pat in Carrick McCross was in touch with us then and he said Matt Carthy probably wants to take a mass into Carrick Macross. Thank you, Pat. Thank you to everybody who's been in touch. Uh, if you'd like to comment, we uh, can't invite you to ring. Our phone lines are down. You can text or WhatsApp 086 658 and you can email michael at lmfm.ie. Call Michael now. 041 983 The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by Airgrid. 
managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Returning to our interview yesterday with Airgrid, if you were listening, you'll recall how Porig O'Reilly of the North East Pile and Pressure Campaign had said he believes Airgrid will need permission to erect pylons on farmers' land. And I asked Michael Mann of Airgrid if he wished to put it on the record if Airgrid, or ESB for that matter, can access farms and erect pylons for the North-South interconnector with or without the landowner's permission. I'm happy to put it on record that we develop projects, we proceed, get the consent, we, get, we look for the agreement of landowners and we hand the project over to ESB. ESB have the statutory authority to, to move ahead with the various different options there to actually gain access to the land. Our primary focus is on doing that on a voluntary basis Hence the process we're going through now. I tend to disagree with Michael. Uh, I'm sorry, with Mr. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on, on that basis, I, I don't. Agree okay. With that so if uh, e- if e- ESB if ESB turns up with a, a court order to gain access to a farmer's land to erect a pylon, and it is met by a blockade, what will happen then? We're not at that point now, Michael. Will people, will people be arrested? That's not for us to decide. That, if, that, if that, that would be in line with the court that, order, though, wouldn't it? I mean, that would be somebody... Will Gardaí be called? If, if they, they potentially will, and that's not a decision for, for us so in er, terms of so er, But er, Airgrid er er will follow the court order, which will give you the right to access land, and if people uh, obstruct that, uh, you'll call the guards and then they could be arrested and then they could be prosecuted. At that point, yes, but the project will be handed over to ESB and we will be supporting ESB in constructing the project. All right, that's Michael Mahan of Airgrid. Let's speak to Parag O'Reilly, spokesperson for the North East Pile and Pressure campaign. Good morning to you, Parag, and thanks uh, indeed for joining us. We've just heard, yes, that is what could possibly happen. Is it what you envisage? Good morning, Michael, and thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to, to respond to what uh, Mr. Mahan said yesterday. Um, I think just to what you've just said, you know, that could possibly happen. I think we listened to uh, the request for him to state about statutory authority and what powers they have. Um, there was no clarity in, in what he said. He said, we develop projects, we get the consent, we look for the agreement of landowners and we hand the project over to ESB. Um, and that he tended to disagree with 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 our view on things, uh, so nothing really changes. I think, in, in our opinion, at least, Michael, in terms of the statutory authority and the process around that, in terms of what is needed to be done. Okay, well, Airgrid, let me just say what I heard, or how I heard what was said, which was that Airgrid will hand it over to ESB, ESB will go to the courts, they'll return to the uh, farmer with a court order. If uh, they're denied access, they'll call the guards. Yeah, so uh, that seems like the the logical approach, but I think if, 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 if you read the actual words, it talks about getting consent, um, and the important thing to bear in mind here you know, is this difference between Airgrid and ESB. We are of the opinion, and very clearly of the opinion, that Airgrid has no statutory authority to access the lands. So they require consent from the landowners, and they can only hand over to ESB those 
pylons that have been agreed with landowners for construction. The ones that have not been agreed, which we contend will be the vast majority, in our opinion, there is no process that exists that allows for uh, a court order to suddenly appear. And uh, we've been here before, Michael. Uh, I, I would just remind you when, when a previous Airgrid spokesperson was on, David Martin, a couple of years ago, and he made claims that we, you know, the royal we have authority to, to, to force entry onto land. And he had to come back when we pushed on this and, and clarify that when he said we, he meant Airgrid and ESB. Yeah. And they're forever putting the two together. Yeah. Well, okay, let me complicate it. But, but, but Michael, me... if I could just say one okay, point. Sure, sure. There's a very important point yeah. here, and that is, you know, EU competition law. There's a reason why Airgrid exists. They were separated out from ESB because of the fact, uh, from a competition law perspective, ESB had too dominant position on the ownership of the whole infrastructure in Ireland. Mm. And there are two separate entities. Yet my, Mr. Mahan and, and Mr. Martin in the past, they, they talk as if they're one. They're not, and they have different powers. And okay. Ingrid does not have the powers. Okay, that it is, and I, I don't that think Michael did. Mahan said that they had the powers. He did say that in the north, where only 50% of landowners have given permission, they're uh, going through the courts and they're going to gain access to lands without permission. Uh, and I only mentioned that uh, by way of complicating it even further for our listeners. So if they can do it in the north, you'd imagine they can do it here. Uh, but what he did say was that they were going to hand this over to the ESB, uh, and I, I took it to mean that the ESB has the statutory authority to do this. They can hand over to ESB what, where they have agreement with landowners. This is the, the, the critical point. They can hand that over for sure. Uh, and there's a whole discussion around what, what happens next when, when they hand that over for those who have agreed. But for those where there is no consent, ESB, let's, let's remember again, ESB did not apply for this planning application. It's the, the planning application was approved for Airgrid. ESB is solely a contractor on this project. They have no authority to deal directly with landowners in looking for access. So there has to be some process then, some statutory process that has to come into play that we're not aware of for them to, to even be able to apply for a court order. And there would definitely need to be an approval for, from somebody like the regulatory authority, which has, ne- which has never happened before. So if there is going to be uh, that ability to gain a court order, it has to go through some new statutory process that does not yet exist. And if you listen to Michael Mann, he says that himself. You know, it, it, will, be, it will need to go through a statutory process. And so our point on this is there is no clear way through without getting consent from all the landowners. Okay, well that Um, sounds like a very interesting legal argument and uh, and an argument that uh, will take place after listening to both of you talk uh, about it. Uh, We heard a lot from Airgrid yesterday. Do you think that landowners will be more inclined to give access to Airgrid or ESB to their lands uh, after what we heard and how the payments that will come by way of compensation from Airgrid will be subject to capital gains tax? I think uh, for for the very few who, who may be considering this, and, and, and that is our feedback, by the way, uh, I think we got some good clarification, thanks to your questions yesterday, on some critical things. Mr. Mahan did confirm that this would be registered uh, on the deeds of, 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 of a landowner's property. 
that they would have the right of way and access in perpetuity if the landowner signs off and, as you say, would be subject to capital gains tax. These are very, very onerous things for a landowner's property and put a big burden on the land. So from my side, it was good to get the confirmation and clarity that was not in the letter sent out to farmers and I think it makes it even less viable for them going forward. The one area of concern that I picked up on, Michael, which I think is one for, for our government and politicians, is that Mr. Mahan said we don't need 100% access uh, to all landowners at the start. Um, so from that, I got the strong impression that their plan is to, where they have got agreement, is to start constructing a few pylons in the hope that they divide and conquer. And I think in terms of spending taxpayers' money, there'll have to be a question around what you know what constitutes viability in even starting this project um, and what percent uh, of consent allows that project to start. I think that's and, a, a, prob- a, a very uh, logical conclusion uh, and it is uh, a point that I did put to Ergrid yesterday uh, and asked to whether their approach will divide communities. The response was quite simple, it's too soon to say that. Uh, give them a chance to consult with farmers. Yeah, this consultation, as they keep talking about, I mean, I just really need to call this out. We have Airgrid now directly turning up unannounced at farmers' doors in the last two weeks without any phone calls, with no ID, uh, and to landowners who have written to them and signed a form of authority saying they do not want them appearing on their lands, and without even contacting them, they're just turning up unannounced. This is not the way to to uh, to to engage, as Mr. Mahan calls it, and it's just adding more negativity around this whole project. And 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 going forward, I think there's going to have to be a situation where, at some point, there's a bit of respect for the landowners' property rights and for the fact that they have no intention of dealing with air grid at any stage. Where does that leave things? In a bit of a mess, I think, Michael. In terms of what really should be done. At some stage, Airgrid will need to realise that there are options for this project uh, in terms of the the, the original north-south interconnector can be upgraded and, and improved in terms of the amount of electricity coming from that. The underground option has been accepted in Kildare, Mead and many other places. And for some reason, they simply refuse to go this route with us. And I think until mm. they actually realise it's not possible they will only then start to look at alternatives that have been staring at them for the last 10 years. They will, uh, or they'll be told to, or someone will intervene or mediate or whatever, because it does appear as though there's an impasse coming down the line here. Uh, absolutely, and I think, uh, you know, this letter where there is a, uh, the compensation is being offered, I think I said it the last day, is, 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 is a letter of desperation from Airgrid in the hope that the money will attract enough landowners to to change their mind. But we've had some meetings in the last couple of weeks. Uh, our our Monaghan counterparts have had some as well. And the uh, the feedback from landowners is stronger than ever that this is, is not necessary, it's not wanted. And the way it's been handled for the last 15 years has left such a sour note uh, with communities and landowners that there is just no hope for this project going mm. forward. OK, and you have your big meeting coming up then at the end of the month as well, Porrick. Yes, at, at, on, on the 30th of November in Headford Arms and Kells mm. at 8pm where we're having a public meeting and all are welcome, but we're going to go through all the details on this. OK, 
we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you, as always. Patrick O'Reilly, spokesperson for NEPPC. That's the North East Pile and Pressure Campaign Group. 086-1800-658. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by Airgrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Now, the government is uh, to give RTE millions, 16 million euro this year and 40 million euro next year. The total of 56 million euro is contingent on reform and cutting costs. Let's speak to former correspondent uh, for the Midlands with RTE, Kira Malouli, who's on the line. Good morning to you once again, Kieran, and thank you indeed for joining us. Yesterday, RTE morning, published its strategic vision. It visualises what RTE will look like in 2028, but does it tell us how it'll get there? Well, I suppose the answer, Michael, is partly. Partly. You got half of the of the story yesterday. There were two objectives behind what RTE did yesterday. The first thing was the absolutely essential one, to try and restore the confidence and the trust of the licence pair with what's going on in the organisation. Uh, you know about the black hole that's in there. 20 million this year, probably 40 million next year, because the licence pairs of Dundalk and Drod and Navin and Kells and Riverbiz are not paying in the numbers they were. And why are they not paying? Because they lost confidence because of the catastrophe last summer when it turned out that RT had misled people about the amount of money they were paying a Ryan Tuberty in one way or another. So they set out yesterday to try and sort that. What did Kevin Backhurst do? He, he, I suppose he went to the populist issues for starters. He said he's not going to pay staff, uh, the, big, the big stars, over 250,000 euro anymore. They've actually said in the document that they're going to try and reduce the number of people paid 100,000 mm. euro in the organisation. And that is part of uh, the, the situation facing them. But I suppose the problem for me with that, Michael, is that uh, they also announced job losses of, of 250, sorry, 400, 400 overall. Yeah, we were yeah. told mm. 150 of those mm. were public. But there's questions about both retiring. aspects, uh, I think, Kieran. I mean, uh, can we stay with the salary cap for a, a moment? 250,000, mm. uh, that's for a, a job. What's a job in RTE? Uh, I mean, you could be doing a radio programme for six months of the year. Uh, and uh, then separate to that, you could be doing a television programme for six months of the year. And that could result in a salary of 360000 or 500000 if you were to reach the cap for both. Yeah, well, this is the interest. The public will watch this very carefully to see how it works out and, and in terms of what people are being paid. I mean, the, the public are not idiots. Uh, if, if, it's, if it's a thing that people are still being paid the money directly or indirectly by RT, they won't wash. I, I don't think it will wash with people. Um, I think Kevin Backhurst did admit mm. on another radio channel this morning that it is possible for Joe Duffy to continue to work on radio every afternoon and be paid by RTE themselves. Uh, but it is also possible for him to be, to be paid by an independent production company to continue his television program. Mm. Uh, it's, so, not, it's, you know, it's not like you'd be talking about a, a cap of 250000 a year for a salary that gives you 21 days holidays, or 30 days holidays for that matter. <laughs> but this, for someone like me, this is the problem. Somebody yeah. involved in RTE for over 25 years um, these these stars have always been a different in a different uh, position. It's always been in a crazy position, Mike. We've been so frustrated going back over twenty five years. That, you know, we were told that the big stars get paid this money. They get paid it in the UK. They get paid it elsewhere. 
60 million people are in the UK. Yeah. Half of them paid, paid a licence fee. Yeah. You could afford to pay it. We yeah. could never afford to pay it. In this and, and Brian Turbridy, who everybody was worried would leave RTA to go to the BBC if his salary was cut, was offered a fraction of what was he was earning. He was willing to do it. Uh, of course, that didn't happen. But since he left, uh, there's a huge increase in the audience to his radio programme. The reality is hitting home about the situation, this crazy situation that started back in the Celtic Tiger days. Um, the reality is hitting home now in terms of what RT have to pay or, or indeed the work they have to do. I would, would One word of caution, though, Michael, yep. about the independent sector. I, I mean, I came from the independent sector. I worked on Ear to the Ground originally before yep. I went into RT News. I loved it. It gave me a start in television. But I'll tell you something I didn't like about it. I didn't like the fact that at the end of your 14-week run, you were told, good luck, goodbye and thanks. We're yep. not sure if you're going to have a job next week or we're going to have another 14 weeks after Christmas. You're certainly not going to get paternity leave or maternity leave in there. Yep. And the wages and conditions are an issue. And while it has changed somewhat over the years, I would have concerns about that. If RT think they're going to get away with a cheap uh, version of the programming, quality programming, then I don't think they should do. Mm. Uh, I think it would be very unfair on staff involved. Yeah. At the end of the day, we want to see high-quality RT programs. We want to see RT investigate coming out with exposés on the big issues in Irish life. Mm. We do not want to see that diluted in any way. Can that be done? Just to go back to the redundancies, can RTA, Kevin Backhurst or whoever guarantee that Primetime investigates? Just to use that as the example that you've raised, can he guarantee that RTA investigates will continue as it is without forced redundancies? I I think the answer is probably no. Uh, No, you're quite right. I think think at the moment he, he cannot because uh, you know, they, they are going to have to get those, albeit over a period of time. He has paid for time here. You know, it's gone yep. over four to five years uh, in terms of those redundancies. But I would hate to think that some of the, the, the brightest and the best young presenters and researchers are going to be uh, the ones being pushed out the door in RTE or being suggested they should go for voluntary redundancies. That, that should not what this, is, this should be about. This should be about uh, bringing equality across RTE. And, you know, he does talk in the, in the document about reviewing pay grades and roles. I think that's a good move. Because from, and there is another tier of management mm-hmm. there that he's also talked about look, looking at or taking out, uh, which, which would be a good move. And authority has always been overstaffed in terms of management, uh, and that's been very clear. But I, I think the key to holding on to the quality news and current affairs is very straightforward. I think the licence fee should be tied into that and that only. I've said this over the course of the last couple of months, but I think the, the vast majority of people who pay their licence fee um, respect the news, particularly in current affairs work. They trust it. They trust the, the coverage and the quality of the work. When they see an expose on elderly people being treated poorly in a, in a nursing home or an elderly care centre, mm. they realise the work that's been done, they realise the quality of that work. And I think they will, the vast majority will pay for that. But don't ask them to start paying for guests on the Late Late Show or, or junkets or trips around the, around the world or tickets. Yeah. Uh, that's what's brought the situation into disrepute. Okay, and I know that when I watch RTE News, and I do every day, I I trust it, uh, and indeed it informs me uh, most often, uh, and uh, I'm very uh, impressed with the standard of reporting and the accuracy and and so on. Uh, You've a a, a fine correspondent uh, in the North East, Laura Hogan, who does a, a wonderful job. Uh, despite the obstacles, uh, and I know this is something that uh, you're hoping will change under this vision that RTA are, are talking about now. That's right. There was a strong, a, a significant uh, part of yesterday's strategy was about investment in the regions. We heard talk of, of production uh, facilities being put into regional studios. Cork and Limerick and Galway were mentioned because traditionally they have been bigger 
uh, situation. But I'm one of those people who feels that, you know, our studios in Dundalk and in Athlone and in Sligo should also be invested in significantly. We have tremendous facilities available in those areas, but we have never invested in them. Now, if Kevin Backert is going to be taken uh, on his word, we would li- I would li- certainly like to see uh, the development of more extensive production facilities to more radio and television programmes coming out of Dund- the Dundalk studio. Mm. And we need to hear more from the people of the North East. We need to see the creative talent of the, people, of the people in the North East. And they have the opportunity to do this. They can decentralise some of the staff they're talking about changing around. Mm. There would be, an, I know lots of people, including friends of mine who live in, in County Loud, working in RT in Danneberg, who'd love to work out of the county and not have to face traffic and, and house prices and all that sort of stuff every day. So I think mm. this will be the test of it, Michael. Is it just talk? Is it tokenism? Or is it going to be an actual new production facility producing real programs out of the likes of the regional studios in the dock? That's very important mm. that that's followed up on in the next Well, few, I, I, I think some people will find it very unpalatable to think that millions is being given to RTE when there isn't a red cent available for the National Stroke Programme, which medics say will result in deaths. Uh, and severe illness for people in this country. And you could make similar examples uh, of where money is needed a a million times over. But we're talking about 56 million going without any guarantee that those reforms in the regions will take place or that people's salaries will be capped at 250,000 unless they're double jobbing, uh, doing two jobs at 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year type of thing. Uh, Or indeed, if the redundancies... Uh, happen in the way that they're saying, uh, which will be on a, a voluntary basis. Th- those questions just are not being answered at the moment. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I work now in the community development uh, voluntary sector. I see every day of the week organisations on their knees uh, for fund, uh, looking for funding from the HSE, from the Department of Health and other, other They're doing tremendous work, particularly in the area of disability, which I work in at, at the moment. And they certainly will find that certainly what happened yesterday to be a good deal unpal- unpalatable. Because after all the talk about holding up RTE and waiting for guarantees, waiting for major uh, analysis of their plans, government buckled yesterday, Michael. They mm. buckled very quickly. They handed over the $16 million for the rest of the year uh, um, immediately, and they said the 40 is there for you next year. But we have to go back to the source of this problem. They did this because the state broadcaster has been underfunded over a period of years. Whether we like it or not, yep. uh, if you're running an orchestra, you're running a, a Lyric FM, Irish language TV and radio station, you need to, to pay to fund it. You have mm. to fund it. They haven't been doing this, and that's been mm. one of the problems. Uh, and you know why they haven't been doing it? Because it hasn't been politically acceptable for sure. them to do it. When was the last government going to come, come forward and say before the election, by the way, we're bringing in a new special licence fee? But that uh, is, that, that, Kieran, that is the biggest of all the unanswered questions at the moment, isn't it? How is RTE going to be funded going forward? Yeah, because, I, I mean, I've said, said this on another station this morning. If, if the problems are not dealt with in the next 12 months, firstly, the licence fee, rectify the licence fee origin, get, get, get the, restore the trust, and restore the trust by publicly making it transparent. You need transparency. But if that issue is not dealt with, RT will be back in the very same position in 12 months' time. They'll be running back to the government looking for money for Christmas so, uh, and, and to keep the place alive. So what do you do? You have to do what... The, there's a great line in the strategy, Michael, yesterday. It says, we will be a better custodian of public funding with a new corporate governance framework to uphold the highest standards of transparency and accountability. Now... My friend, you you know that language, but uh, you can read through that. <laughs> it's language. Con- it's convinced me, all right, Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> the problem the problem is 
what happened mm-hmm. last summer when RTE did not give transparency when it came to Ryan Tuberty. So for going forward, they're going to have to do a line-by-line outline of where they're spending the money. We're going to have to see. I mean, there's, I had to arrive last yesterday afternoon, Michael, when I read the strategy. There's another line in there about investment in the news division. They're going to appoint a new um, a correspondent who will be responsible for, for telling us about disinformation. He's a disinfor- he or she will be a disinformation officer. He, will, he or she will come on and do a fact check on stories. Another way you see CNN doing it from time to time mm-hmm. in terms of what complex stories are about, really. Well, you know what? It's a pity we didn't appoint the yep. disinformation correspondent two years ago in RTE because he or she might have actually got to the bottom of what Ryan Tuberty was being paid yep. last summer and we could have avoided that entire mess which has led to the licence fee collapse. That's unfortunately where we are. It's RTE's fault, it's management's fault, and now the new management is faced with the task of sorting it. And I wish them good luck, because RTE, at the end of the day, we need a strong RTE. We need that strong independent broadcasting, um, and I wish them good luck with it. But it's an uphill task, and they must be transparent every day they go out from now on. Good to talk to you, Kieran. Thanks for joining us, as always. Kieran Malouli, former correspondent for the Midlands with RTE. Michael at lmfm.ie The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Now, uh, let's help John. Uh, maybe we can get uh, the Taoiseach or a spokesperson for the Taoiseach maybe or one of uh, the local uh, government party TDs on the line. Uh, John needs help. He's looking for a bailout. Uh, this is John Conlon in Ballymckenney. Uh, <laughs> he wonders if the government can bail him out. He says, what does Mr. Backhurst do that's so special that justifies €250,000? Uh, well, he, he has people working for him who earn 360000 John. So I suppose uh, there is a, a point in earning a salary of 250000 if uh, the people working for you earn 360000 or more, as uh, the case may be. Uh, but uh, apparently nobody in RTA is going to earn more than 250000 going forward for their job. Now, they might have two jobs, but uh, the job that they do now might be for nine months a year, let's say. That could be cut back to six months or three months for the 250000 because that's the absolute maximum that they'll be able to earn. So then they may be able to take a, on a second job because, well, they've all the time in the world. They only work three months or six months a year. Uh, so they'll be able to earn 250000 God knows they could take on a third job, uh, given the way... Uh, things work out up in Donnybrook. Uh, but John says, what does Mr. Backhurst, uh, the Director General of RTE, do for 250000 Well, he works uh, uh, looking after an organisation that has people working for them for 360000 plus. Uh, and John says, I'm looking for a bailout. Will the government help me? Thank you very much indeed, John, for that. Uh, Tom has been in touch and he says, RTE could cut most of their costs if they got rid of Jerry Ryan's family. <laughs> I, I'm lost. I, I think Jerry Ryan's daughter works for uh, 2FM or something like that. Uh, I, I, I don't know an awful lot about that, Tom, um, but I take it that there's more people uh, who uh, work for RTE uh, who 
uh, members of Jerry Ryan's family based on your comment. Uh, Tony in County Loud says, I can see Joe Duffy at home laughing at this as he had just secured a new five-year contract shortly before all of this started, by which time he would probably be retiring anyway. So it doesn't stand to lose anything from these guidelines. This contract should be ended immediately on the grounds of inability to pay. And it should be noted that neither Mr. Duffy or Mr. Darcy volunteered any decrease in their enormous salaries to help the survival of their colleagues. And this pretext of media outlets queuing up for these personalities is just a pretext. There's no one queuing up for Ryan Tuberty and they certainly will not be queuing up for Mr. Duffy or Darcy. Claire Byrne, who carries out serious and necessary journalism very professionally, is a different matter altogether, though, says Tony in County Loud. And thank you indeed for sharing your thoughts with us. That has to be the final word. Our time has run out and is once again. Thanks to Brian Farrelly for researching today. Chris Murray was under control to our I'm Michael Godwilling. We'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. Listen back to the Michael Reed Show podcast on lmfm.ie or the LMFM app. The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.